We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land. We respectfully acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. Welcome to Wine with Megan Mel. We're here to help beginners navigate the world of wine. I'm Mel Gilchrist, joined by the fabulous Meg Brotman, Master of Wine, and we have got a very special guest on today, but we just had to jump on first and address some of the comments because I don't think we've ever gotten more comments back. <laughs> From an episode. Who would have thought that Rosé would have been so controversial? I know. So I thought people just didn't care and just drank it. Clearly, I've been um, underestimating people's investment in Rosé. 100%. So we've got Matt who, like, is like, love your work, congrats. He's, like, never messaged us before but listens. And he's, like, gone on this big, you know, he's talking about rosé and then he's talking about all these different kinds of foods. And he's saying that if you're pairing rosé with food, the winemaking and varietal are absolutely important. Sorry, Meg. <laughs> what do you have to say about that, Meg? You do you, Matt. <laughs> Um, okay, I, I would I would like to know what his favourite is and what he thinks right. the differences are. So Merrick's estate on the Mornington Peninsula has a 100% Shiraz rosé. We've tried it. He's tried it with salmon. So I think he's saying that Shiraz has more flavour and it's more textural. It also depends on the winemaking. That's the yeah. thing. So, because I, I haven't tried it, I yeah. don't know what the winemaking is. <laughs> okay, and <laughs> your dog is in here. I know Hector's your, just putting uh, your hand at the wants moment. Wants to be part of the show. <laughs> Get down, Hector. No. Um, <laughs> We'll post a photo so you can see the dog that is jumping around at the moment. Um, so I also I heard from my friend who really cares whether it's um, Sangiovese and she was like, you know, you can't try white Zinfandel and say bridal doesn't matter. But even with white Zinfandel, that's down to winemaking, right? Yeah, it's sweet for a start. It's low alcohol and yeah. it's sweet. And so it's, it's got nothing to do with the actual grape that's making it taste like that. No, I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a Zinfandel, dry Zinfandel rosé. No. Made before. I mean, I'm yeah. sure they exist. Um, so yeah, it would. De- it depends on so many different factors. But again, that's the so beauty about wine. You, the, the question is, do you stand by your comments? I do. Oh, you I don't do. think most people care. Oh well, I, I think Matt likes that particular style. Yeah, and so it's important to him. Yeah, but we could possibly find. <laughs> you a wine that you'd like equally as much <laughs> made from a different grape variety. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily you've got Kat on your side because she said, love the rosé episode, been listening to it and drinking rosé in honour, had to go look on the bottle as to what grape it was because I paid no attention when I was buying it. So you've got someone back in your I it was up. on the bottle. I wonder if it was because a lot of them just no, don't even true. say anything. I think it was once she yeah. got there. <laughs> anyway, now we've put that to rest or not. Keep messaging us. Keep fighting. <laughs> back if you want I think it's funny um I agree <laughs> we've got Neil Allenby coming back so stay tuned back by popular demand this week is official Rhone Valley ambassador Dan Murphy's South Melbourne wine merchant and brilliant wine storyteller probably the best we've ever come across absolutely Neil Allenby thanks Yay! for coming back Neil 
Oh, thank you very much for having me back. I'm, I'm really looking forward to another day. It's, uh, it's always fun talking about wine and telling about my stories. Yeah, it's, well, uh, I mean, especially when uh, the lineup is champagne. I'm <laughs> looking forward to another lineup of champagne. <laughs> we were sitting around and we were like, okay, we need to get Neil back. We're planning the podcast. So we're like, what could we do with Neil? And we were like, well, what's better than no, champagne? No, but you remember he gave us the talk in yeah, you the did store the first time champagne. I met you. Yeah. And I was just like, got to do champagne because no one tells those stories. Oh, that's so, lovely. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's great to hear that nobody has these sort of stories. It's 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 for me. It's the most important part of wine. It's it's the story behind the wine that's important, far more yep. than the actual wine itself. I, you know what's funny? Like um, we put up on our Instagram yesterday. They were coming back in, and does anyone have questions? And the first one that came in was, "Is he going to tell lots of amazing stories again? <laughs> Isn't that great?" <laughs> so it's like, yes, but I'm pretty sure we can go out on a limb and say he is. <laughs> We've made questions about the champagne, but that's okay. I know. <laughs> now, I think we're going to start with, Meg, I was going to ask you what you've been drinking this week, but you seem to have brought it in. I have brought it in. <laughs> um, since we're doing champagne um, and I was in Aldi the other day, I was t- promote, prompted to buy this wine because I read that according to figures from data firm I. RI, Elder Champagne has surpassed Lansong, becoming second only to Moet and Chandon in terms of UK sales over the Christmas period. So it's the second most rated, uh, sold champagne most sold. in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I've got to get me some of this. How are they even sourcing all the – I thought all of Champagne's grapes are like tied up in different houses. No, this Verve Monsigny – yeah. Is made by, for Aldi by Phil Zot et Fille, the French producer helmed by husband and wife team Stéphane and Virginie Philizot. Philizot. It is based in Champagne's <laughs> Marne French Valley. Anyway, so I've poured you all a glass so you can Neil, drink have with you, me. Have you tried this before? I've never tried it before. Twenty four ninety nine, and it's Champagne from It France. seems a bit ridiculous, but let's, let's see how this goes. Well, it smells yeasty and Vegemite and what you'd expect. It's pretty good. Dosage isn't too high. It's not super it's, sweet. It's not sweet. It's got good. Do- it's not too yeasty at all. It's um, it's nice quite- length. It's actually, and I think I would recognise it as champagne. Would you recognise yes, it as champagne? Yes, if you put that in Absolutely. a blind tasting, you would, you would say go, that's champagne. champagne. Yeah, 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 because hmm. it has that. One of the things with champagne is they tend to have fruit ripeness at lower potential alcohols, whereas in the new world. Mm. Um, the fruit tends to look a little greener to get that because you have to have lower ripeness when you pick it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I would drink it 25 I'd, bucks. I'd drink it for 25 bucks. It's not setting my world on fire, but mm. I would drink it for 25 no. bucks, 100%. But, actually. again, you get what you pay for. You it's not, it's definitely not Carver. No. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about champagne is is for celebrations – and if you're mm. going to have a celebration that's really special or whatever, then you want a bottle of Cristal, etc. Yeah. But if you're going to have just pop a cork and laugh and giggle, yeah, and only drink half Absolutely. of it and spill the other half on the floor, <laughs> it's like why not? Totally, it's champagne. And with your mates that think that champagne is sparkling Sauvignon Blanc, I mean mm. that's <laughs> oh my God. you Perfect. don't want to be wasting the good stuff on that. That's true. That's very true. Okay, well, while we sip on our Aldi so champagne. So that, that, was, that was what I've been drinking this week so that you can all share. And, um, yeah, look, if I was having a party, I would definitely go back and buy yeah. more of that yeah. for volume. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So while we enjoy our Aldi champagne, 
Neil, uh, have you come with a fun fact for us this week? So I do have a fun fact. It's a little longer, mm-hmm. but uh, however, I um, mean, it's about champagne. Okay. So everybody thinks that uh, Dom Perignon invented champagne. Yeah, he was the monk, right? Yes, he was a monk. He was a monk. Um, Actually, no, he didn't. What? Um, In fact, his job was to stop the bubbles, not put them in. And in fact, um, his uh, history is recorded in 1531 in uh, the Abbey of Saint-Hilaire down in the south of France, not far from Carcassonne, Mm -hmm. medieval village. Oh, like Saint-Hilaire de Cremont, the wine? Yeah. Blanquette de Limo, 1531. Oh, my God. And not only that, so 1531, but sometime after that, guess who was an employee? Well, whatever monks do, I'm not certain if they're employee, but who was an employee of the Abbey of Saint-Hilaire? Dom Dom Perignon. Perignon. Little baby Dom. And then he went off to France to – and he's – at that time, they were exporting – light red wine from Champagne region over to the UK. And, um, and of course, they would finish the harvest and put it in barrel in around like uh, October, November, late autumn, yeah. ship it to UK, put it in bottles, and then um, open it up. You know, no, sorry, um, would wait until, until like April the following year in the spring when it warms up. What happens is the, the fermentation process was not complete. Yeah. So when the temperature warmed up, yeah. the bottles exploded because they weren't strong enough. So his job was to stop the bubbles in the red wine that was being exported to UK. He obviously failed and <laughs> cre- created a worldwide phenomenon of, <laughs> of well, champagne. Well, so it was an accident. But do you think he said, I'm tasting stars, as he's famously attributed to him outside Moet and Chandon's <laughs> massive, big who tasting knows? room? There's all sorts of myths about champagne. It's true. They love a but story you know, of champagne. The other is apparently he never drank. Oh. So he probably didn't because he probably didn't taste it. But who oh, yeah. knows? Oh. Wow. Well, that's why he had quality control issues because he clearly wasn't tasting if the wine was still <laughs> sweet when he was putting it in bottle. <laughs> Winemaking 101, that's Dom. <laughs> and then, of course, he died in 1715, which was yeah. the same year as Louis XIV. Yeah. And uh, Champagne didn't become really popular in, in the Champagne region, become the majority wine. It was made until the 1850s, so well after he died. So he, um, you know, Failed in his job and, and, and took oh. a long time before they created the, the champagne as we know it today. Oh, wow. So everything I thought about champagne was wrong. I was sure that <laughs> oh, they're, they're like, very good at marketing. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice story, though. Oh. But he can't, stole can't, it from the, the longer Well, from, from his previous employer, story. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I didn't realise that that Santelier, which is that orange label, yes. was the Bronca de Lima was so... Historically famous. Uh, and there's another one we have as well, a Blanquette de Limo, 1531. That's why. That was ah. the year when they, when they determined that they've invented the sparkling wine. And they didn't put it in a bottle. They put it in a ceramic uh, flask with a cork. And the corks came from the local uh, forests of uh, Catalan, which were obviously very close to there. Well, Neil, we've had a few questions come in, and I think I'm just going to scatter them um, as they come out throughout the episode. But I thought it would be nice to kick off with this one because it's been sent in as a voice question. So what do you think about this? This is from Christian. My question is, does champagne age well? Um, 
And if not, is it best served immediately or can you, how long can you hold a champagne before it starts to go bad? That's a very interesting question and um, it depends on a lot of different issues. Um, what I would say to start with, aging champagne, it loses bubbles. So it says we start off with six atmospheres pressure and it loses one atmosphere pressure every year. So if you've got a champagne that's, uh, that's 50 years old, it's probably completely flat. Um, huh. It will age because of the Chardonnay aspect. Yeah. The, 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 as a wine, it will age. It will change. Yeah. You might not like it. It'll become richer. It'll change colour. It'll become darker. Do you like and, it? And... and for me personally, yeah. no, I generally, I would choose. So, so there's two ways of also in the champagne process. It's once it's in bottle aging, that's what I was talking about. Oh. You can also age the wine before you put the bubbles in and then age when it's on lees as well yeah. for longer period. Longer aging on lees gives a toastier champagne. Longer sure. aging before you put the bubbles in when it's a still white wine will give a more complex, richer flavor. Right. Do you like aged champagne, Meg? Uh, from a good vintage, yeah, I don't mind a few years, what do we call, on cork, so, so yeah. three to five years on cork. My One of my issues for non-vintage wines is um, we don't know when they were bottled. Correct. You know, yeah. uh, when I used to work in France, you could go in and buy Nicolas Foyet for quite cheap from the local supermarket, but it could quite possibly could have been there for six years because it's just labelled as non-vintage. So I have had a few horrors where I've bought champagne that has had far too long on its cork and probably okay. not in the best storage conditions. I just think if I buy it, I drink it as soon as possible. I never age it at home and yeah. I have had old champagnes, but I think that part of it is their freshness and that balance between mm -hmm. the, the yeastiness and the fruit character. So yeah. yeah. Same for me. I, I, I will really buy it and it not drink it immediately, but certainly certainly soon after purchase. Yeah. Well, there you go, Christian. That's got to be good news. You can drink your champagne. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Get into it. Neil, I'm just too excited. We need to get into these ones. What have we got first? Okay, so the first one that we've got is a Verve Clicquot. Okay. And so um, the word Verve in French translates to widow. I didn't know that. And so Verve, her name was Nicole Barbe Ponsardin. Okay. And she married François Clicquot um, in uh, 1798 in the cellar of a vineyard. Oh, that's nice. And seven years later, when she was 27, he passed away. Okay. So she was the widow. She ran the company for 60 years, was very successful, and her her claim to fame is that she invented the pupitre. It's the way of storing the bottles on their side and slowly turning them up ah. upright and also so you can turn the bottles. What and time frame? When are we talking? So in the um, start of the 1800s. Okay. She, took, she took over in 1805 and ran for 60 years. And surely back then it wouldn't have been pretty, uh, like common for a female to be running a significant <gasps> business, would it? There were a few of them actually. Really? Um, there's quite a number that have been quite significant yeah. in the history of Champagne. Okay. Um, I think, I believe in part because um, they've married into the family yeah. and if they remarried, they would have to give 
the vineyard <gasps> to the husband. Ah, okay. Therefore, they've run the company. And wait, wait, wait. They, if they remarry, they give the vineyard to the husband. It's part of the, you know, the wedding thing. Yeah. Is that it becomes the joint property? It becomes the yeah. the property of the of the new husband. So if they don't get a new husband, then they keep it. Then they get to keep it. It Absolutely. doesn't just automatically have gone. Absolutely. Ah. Yes, it stays with them. So all these women did it. So what did so, the Clico not remarry? So she could. So she didn't remarry. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I I probably make the story up, but you know she was busy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was I having a good that. time oh, and never I'd, got married again. I bet she was. I'd she hung was, out with her. She was 27. <laughs> oh, man. She, she sounded was, like a tough woman, though. Good on her. I, I think so. And she was 27 when she took over the company. <gasps> ran it for 60 wow, years. Okay, so clearly this painting's so, a little bit later uh, of her. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> or after a hard night on her champagne. Exactly. <laughs> Meg's referring to the top of the cork. If you ever get some verve, check out her uh, portrait at the top of the cork. I had a friend who had made a necklace of this. Oh, really? So oh. link them all together. Oh, that's cool. Can I keep that? I want it. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Okay, so what about the champagne itself? What kind of style can we expect from it? So Verve is, in general, is higher in Pinot Noir. It's about 50% Pinot Noir. Oh, okay. About 30% Chardonnay and about 20% Pinot Meunier. It's aged about two and a half years on lease and has a dosage of about nine gram per litre. Therefore, you will – so the Pinot Noir gives more structure, mm-hmm. uh, more savoury. Mm. The Chardonnay gives the fruitness, the roundness and the maturity yep. and the finesse. Yeah. The Pinot Meunier is for younger drinking okay, and, and also adds a little red fruit flavour. And so let me try. And for me, Pinot Noir, if you've ever picked up champagne or even a good sparkling wine – from the new world, whatever. There's a definite hot cross bun oh, smell yeah, to it. So and when I see that, yeah. I think that I always think there must be a higher proportion of, of Pinot, Pinot um, yeah. or even Meunier in there because it just yeah. gives this certain spice. Because I years ago when I worked at Domaine Chandon, we had Richard Geoffroy from Moet come out to blend. Mm-hmm, there were mm-hmm. 130 odd parcels of wine. Yeah. I mean, watching him do that was, I think, one of the greatest thrillers of my yeah, life yeah. for a non-vintage wine. And they're not there's no bubbles in them. There's no yeast character. It's just base wine, so mm-hmm. really acidic. Mm-hmm. And he just it was just miraculous. Mm-hmm. The, the, it is, there is an art to it. It's, it's yeah. not science. It is just definitely art. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it must be such a challenge. And then to know how it's it's going to taste three years (laughs) down the track when it's been bubbled up. Just amazing. It's very cool. Mm. So for me, you get that sort of yeasty flavour from the ageing on lees and the toastiness. You get the structure of the Pinot Noir and you get the little bit of easier drinking coming through from the Pinot Meunier. That is so yum. Um, You mentioned dosage, Neil. Do you want to go into a bit about what that is? So there's when you make champagne, you start with the, the grapes. You have different parcels and different barrels that are, or barrels or, or tank loads in separate lots, and you put them together to make your base wine. Yeah. And then when you make the base wine, you add a little um, uh, amount of sugar and yeast and put it in the bottle and put a beer bottle cap on top, and this will start the second fermentation. Okay. Second fermentation puts the bubbles in. Yeah. Then 
Then at the end of doing that, you after a certain period of time, you slowly turn the bottle upside down. This is called riddling. And then over a, a period of weeks. And then you freeze the neck, rip the beer bottle cap off, slam in a cork. And before you put in the cork, you put in a dosage. The dosage is more liqueur, sugar, um, something which adds a little bit of sweetness. Okay. And and that's for making brute champagne. Brute champagne classified as zero to twelve grams per liter. It's normally around seven, eight, nine. And that's the standard sort of you know, standard brute, which everybody will buy. Sort yeah. of thing. That's what brute normally would be. Yeah. Because okay. they are really acidic to start with, you need that little bit. Otherwise, it would be like tasting battery acid. Although Absolutely. some of the zero dosage wines are just phenomenal. Yeah. Interesting thing about that is the champagne started off sweet. Ah. So if you look at the different ways of classifying the sweetness level based through the dosage. Oh, okay. Um, do which translates to sweet, is about 50. And that was like the start. And for the Russians, they all like the sweet. But the English ah. like the dry. And so it slowly got drier. So I brought my little list with me to tell you how it actually goes. Do is sweet. Then demisec they came up with, which is to 32 to 50 gram per liter. After demisec, they invented dry. Then they invented extra dry. Then oh. they invented brute, then the extra brute, and then brute natural. He's running out of names. It's why. It's <laughs> why. The one Marketing. That's- so if you see a champagne that says dry, it's actually going to be it's sweeter. Sweet, sweet. Absolutely. What's well, going to be sweet? Mm. Then something that says brute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Correct. And it's not co- the, the standard ones are, are doux. Yep. And um, brute and brute nature. Wow. And brute nature has pretty much got zero. And that can be. It can be very dry, actually. Mm. Yeah. Very dry. Only certain wines, I think, are very and, and you have to be very good to, to be able to make a good one. Great yeah. with parmesan cheese. Absolutely, yes. Just a chunk of parmesan yes. cheese. Yeah. You would say that. You love your cheese. I do. And did you know that the Champenoise are in a fight with Russia at the moment? Because they yes. think that their name, yes. they've taken the name of Champagne for one of their regions. Yeah. Oh, it's getting and worse. they're making... Mm. Wine. So they're basically t- saying to Champagne, no, you can't use Champagne in Russia. Mm. <laughs> yes. Even though. Oh, I did hear about that. I don't know what's happened. They're probably too busy uh, with the Ukraine at the moment. Upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> They're lost interest at the, moment. at the moment. It's like Ukraine. <laughs> Can I just say, though, what we've also done with this verve is we've brought in three glasses for you to. Well, so that's the thing that's happened. So we put up, we just kind of threw up some polls because we wanted to know what you guys thought about a few different things that we're going to discuss today. And when we asked about what kind of glasses that you guys like to drink champagne out of, uh, most of you have said the flute. So about 60% have said the flute, 40% have said the coupe. But I did actually get one message back from Cara Iving, and she said, neither, mate, you need a rounder glass because it hits the palate much nicer. And she did say tulip, I think, in her. Did she actually she reference tulip? tulip? She, but she just said like a wider bowl right. type. So we were like, all right, let's, well, she's right. let's put this to the test. <laughs> so we've actually got three different glasses here in front of us. Like, Megan Neal, what do you think? Have a go of each and tell me if you think it's changing the taste or the experience. Okay. 
I do like the coop because these are pretty beautiful. But look how big the bubble looks in the coop. They're so extra. You look so fancy. I know. I feel really like Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby, totally. <laughs> well, um, the shape of the glass, as far as I can uh, determine, was, yeah. was to be something different. For the coop? And so it started with the coop. Yep. With a story. Yeah. supposed to be modelled on Marie Antoinette's breast. So this is a myth, is it? Because I've heard this, that it was modelled on a breast. <laughs> they haven't seen her, haven't fondled her, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she didn't say let them eat cake either. No. My son told else. me that was that was a lie. We were talking about this last night. Uh, mm. so um, she's been great disservice, but it is a lovely shape. How's it going? Because I've always kind of loved the theatre of them, but thought they maybe didn't hold bubbles well. It won't hold a bite. And then in the tulip for me, the tulip does seem fresher. The bubble seems much finer, much crisper. Oh, it it, does. It's beautiful out of that. Sorry, no, the tulip. The tulip. Yeah. Doesn't it? It doesn't seem as aggressive, the bubble. And in the flute, yeah, it works well. But the thing I like about this is... At home, my husband always drinks the flute because he thinks this is this is a man who drinks out of XL5 ISO glasses that I've searched high and low to just order another dozen for him. So he drinks out of that, but these hold more. <laughs> so I'm like, pour me a glass, pour you a glass. <laughs> but be careful, you should only fill I up do. to the, where it goes from concave to... Uh, yeah. Concave to convex, is that right? And yeah. where it turns around. Isn't it a beautiful glass? Always though? classy master of wine over here. <laughs> Gosh, um, that's delicious. I love Verve Clicquot. Um, but do you know what? Something I've never done. I know that I like Moom and I know that I like Verve and I know that I like Bollinger. I've never tasted them side by side like this before. So I'm actually really excited to kind of see how they all compare. I have one question for you. The. Between the houses, mm-hmm. is there a difference that they in time that they leave their non-vintages on lease or do they all go the minimum? Oh, no, they all go much more than the minimum. The minimum is for non-vintage, 15 months. And do they – but say does Verve traditionally go two years or is it just depend on stock rotation or – I guess it would depend on making sure, you know, you, that they would taste along to make sure that style. it's the right style, yeah. it's what they want. Yeah. But, yeah, Verve is about two and a half years. Um is only about 20 months. So, you should oh, be able so, to so that's, the that could be an, a big difference in pricing then. Absolutely. So yep. that's a difference in price. Also because Chardonnay is more expensive, Pinot Mounier is the cheapest. Yep. So the percentage ratio of the grape will make a difference in price, but also the length of time on lease will make a difference in the price. Hmm. And so Moom have got their standard non-vintage and their, their Moom 4, which is four years on lease. Oh, okay. I don't know that one. Uh, do you? Yeah, yeah, I do know that one. And there's a difference in price, and that, that's yeah. pretty much the difference. It's yeah. aged a lot longer. But it's not like an astronomical difference in prices. No. It's not like chaotically no. expensive. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And of these... Well, we uh, don't know what we have in front of us at the moment. Should you, Neil, just quickly run through? Okay, so we have the Verve Clicquot, non-vintage. Yep. We have the Pomery, non-vintage. Yep. We have the Moom standard. Mel's request for that one. That was my request. I love it. <laughs> I brought the Aldi. <laughs> we have the Bessera de Belfond, mm. non vintage. 
which is pretty interesting but not so well known in Australia. Uh-huh. And then we have the Boulanger Rosé non-vintage. Cool. Okay. Which I would think is probably one of the nicest non-vintage rosés on the market. And price-wise, you probably know off yeah, the top of your head. So I pulled the receipt out. Verve is about 75. 75. Uh, Pomery is about 70. Uh, Mum is about 55. And uh, Besserette de Belfond is 75. And the Boulanger Rosé is about 147, 8, something like that. Oh. About 150. Oh, mm. that's mm. fancy. So, Neil, it's funny you should say that because we actually – we had a couple of questions come in about this. Both mm. Francis and Nikki have asked, why is Rosé Champagne so much more expensive? Like, does it actually – it seems to be like 20% more expensive. Is mm. it worth mm. that much? What's going into it that's causing that? Um, I would say it's just pretty much like the supply demand. It's made in much smaller quantity. Okay. Um, it's, it's not the bulk standard one. It is the Boulanger's age for four years only, so it's a bit longer. Okay. Um, uh, the, 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 the blend is a little bit more complex yep. because when you make rosé champagne – it's the only appellation in France that you can actually blend red wine into white wine. So when you've got the base wine, mm. you add about 5% of uh, Pinot Noir, yeah. which also has to come from the Champagne region. Yeah. And you blend it in with all the white wines. And then you do the, the um, prise de mousse, the, the mousse, the adding of the bubbles. Okay. So there's like a little bit more involved in winemaking, but at the end of the day, it's more that it's a rarity. Absolutely, okay. and and then it comes to a marketing issue. Oh, so, totally! You bring yeah. out a new product, you yeah. put a premium on that baby. Smaller quantity, prestige. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit more complex and a little bit more involved. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah. Well, I'm keen to get into the next one. What have we got? Okay, so the next one we got is the Pomery. So here we have a. So as we mentioned, Verve Clicquot, she was a widow. Louise Pomery was also a widow. What are these women doing to their husbands in France? So you think there were any women in there? (laughs) (laughs) Were they around at the same time? Maybe something was going on. Well, she was 1858. She she got married to Mr. Pomery, Alexandra Pomery. Okay. Who was invited to join in with the company. Yeah. Um, and And he died two years later. Hmm. And then uh, Louise Pomery, she, she ran the company for 30, 30 years. Wow. And um, as we were talking about previously, there are the big chateaus of Champagne region. Yeah. The grapes are not grown around the chateau. Yes. Each region of Champagne has different specialty. Okay. So the Pinot Noir comes from the Montagne de Reims. Okay. Valley de, de la Manne is the Pinot Meunier, and then uh, Côte de Blanc and uh, Côte Cézanne is the Chardonnay. And then, so what happens is they all get transported into the chateau to be made. Gotcha. And uh, Pomery is right in the centre of Reims, so it's right in the middle of a city. And uh, Louise Pomery, she uh, famously built that chateau. She was attracting the English market. So it's very much in an English style instead of a French style like a lot of the other ones. It's very beautiful. Um, But also she is the one who started buying up all of the underground cellars and all of the pits underneath through the chalk soil and started um, joined them all up. She hired the Belgians um, to, to join up the, all of these uh, cellars 
and uh, uh, Pomeroy have got 18 kilometers of underground cellars all under the city of Rans. Wow. And I'm intrigued. You say she's making the English style. She was making the English style versus the French style. So what do you mean by uh, that? Uh, in, in the, like the building itself. Architecture. Yeah, oh, in the okay. building yeah. itself. In the building itself, it was a, it was a more an English style, okay. which is out looking from the outside. Yep. The French style, like in uh, in uh, Bourgogne, very much involved. You know, it has an outside, but it looks great from the inside. Yeah, yeah. That was the oh, chateau, okay. but yep. she also attracted. She was she targeted the English market, which was drier, mm. whereas Rodera targeted the Russian market. Ah, so Cristal so is such a richer style too. Yep. Cristal was made for Tsar Alexander II, I think. Um, in the 1870s, and of course, then Rotorua's market completely dried up in 1917. There was not much champagne going there for a while. Ah, wow! And whereas she targeted the English market and therefore started making drier champagne. Wow. Mm. So, is that still represented today? Is it still going to be drier than sort of its counterparts? Uh, no, I would say now it, you taste and, 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 and check. It's a different style of champagne. It's about one-third Pinot, one-third Chardonnay, one-third Pinot Meunier, um, three years on lease, nine gram per litre. So it's the same dosage as Verve Clicquot, but different ratio. Seems slightly sweeter to me. Mm. From the higher Chardonnay, a little bit Possibly. More fruit, a little softer. You're going to compare and contrast, Mel? I'm going to compare and contrast. It's just an excuse to put more verve in my glass, But really. more, um, I don't know, more perfumed, this one? More floral, yeah. More fr- floral, more, more fruit flavour, less structure. Honeysuckle and, yeah, it's beautiful. It's mm. very, it's elegant. This is my favourite non-vintage champagne. Really? See, I've always Probably not allowed verve. to say that, am I? <laughs> no, that was one of the questions. You've preempted <laughs> Kate's question. So Kate's question was, if you're going to get one, just like go out and get one of these houses, which one would it get? So Non-vintage, would you, would I would you get say Pomeroy. the Pomeroy? Yeah. But that's my style, a higher-end Chardonnay. And it was, what, 70 70 dollars. Two verbs, 75 75 yeah. Okay, yeah, they're about the same. Mm, mm. Mm, I'm actually – I can see why you love the Pomeroy. I've never really drunk a lot of Pomeroy, but then having them side by side, it does have a floralness and an elegance, I think – it's, to it's, it, the, mm. pop, the verve seems almost a bit broader, and, and it's it's easier drinking. Yeah, it's not so structured. And if you have it, okay, if you have it with food, a little bit different. But having it by itself, I would, I would go oh, pomery oysters. Mm. Oh my god, I don't even eat oysters, and I can imagine that with oysters because <laughs> oh, it's kind of briny. It's kind yeah, it of, is. It yes. is kind of briny. I really yeah. like that about it. Yeah. That is beautiful. I'm not sure if I've even had pomery before. Okay. Yeah. Do you know Pierre Peters? The, it's a gr- grower-ish. It's a little no. like this mm. um, in that it's it, we're t- saying simple. It's not simple, but it is, it's that, that elegance and that um, just fine line about it and floralness and freshness, freshness I think, is the word. Yeah. yeah. And yum, that's beautiful. Yeah. Freshness, totally, when I compare it to the verb. I'm so drinking Pomeries. champagne tonight. Freshness. <laughs> and... It's along the same lines as Laurent Perrier. Mm. Yeah. So if you like Laurent Perrier, you will like Pomeroy. So yeah. These times of somewhat shortages of champagne. <laughs> Either one, they're similar style. Is there a shortage in champagne? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> we 
going to leave you on that cliffhanger because no surprises here. We've gone overtime with Neil and it's enough to fill two episodes. So tune in to find out, is there a shortage or is it just a marketing tool by the Champenoise? And we've got three more delicious champagnes coming up as well. And you'll see if my favourite mum steps up to the plate with all the others. 